Now I'd like to invite all the children to come a little bit closer to your screens and share a special moment with me. I always look forward to this moment together with you. You know, when it comes to my faith in God, there are a lot of things that I think I know. I know that God is love. I know that God loves me. And I know that God loves you and loves every person walking on this planet. I know that God created the world and all the animals and all the planets and stars. I know that God wants me to love my neighbor and take care of the earth. So there are a lot of things that I know, but there are a lot of things that I don't know. I have a lot of questions and sometimes it's fun for me to write out some of my questions and make a list. When the time comes that I get to go to heaven, I'm going to ask God all of these questions. Like, why did God make mosquitoes? What purpose do mosquitoes serve? So something as simple as that. Or why are there hurricanes and bad storms in the world? Or maybe something like, who wrote the book of Chronicles? That's one of those books in the Old Testament. All sorts of questions that I have and that I think all of us have about God and, and what it all means. And you know what's really important? It's okay to say, I don't know. It's really good to have questions and to be able to ask your questions. So whether you're in Sunday school, when that day comes that you can come back to Sunday school, or you're talking with one of your parents, if you've got a question about God or about Jesus or about church, we want you to ask your questions. There's no question that you cannot ask. And you know, as the grown-ups, we might say, you know, I don't know, and that's okay because what we really do know underneath everything is that God loves us, and that's enough. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for giving us brains and intellect, for curiosity that makes us want to ask questions and learn things and know things. Thank you so much for the good questions that children ask, especially. And thank you for reminding us that we don't always have to know the answers. There may not be easy answers to lots of our questions, but you still want us to ask and be curious and to seek and to search and to know above all that you love us no matter what. And there's no question in the world we could ask that would make you stop loving us. Thank you so much. It makes us feel loved and safe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sometime last year, at least I think it was last year, I've totally lost track of time. It was sometime before last March 15th. A member of the church gave me the book, the Universal Christ by Father Richard Rohr. Her Sunday school class was going to be reading the book together and she wanted me to have a copy as well. 
And I was really grateful for it because through it, I also discovered a podcast that goes along with it. And so I could drive to work listening to the voice of Father Richard Rohr talking about deep questions and theology. Of course, I didn't actually get around to reading the book until this week. I don't know about you, but that's just how it happens. You know, I make a sta- have a stack of books that I want to read. I'm committed to reading them, and it just takes me some time to get to them and get through them. But I was so grateful to open this book on this week leading up to Transfiguration Sunday. Because on the opening pages of Richard Rohr's book, he tells a story that was told by an English mystic from the 20th century, Carol Houselander. She talks about an experience she had riding in the London underground one day. She was on that subway train, which, which was crowded with people of all different kinds of faces and expressions. And suddenly, she had a vision. She saw in each one of those people the glory and light of Christ shining through them. Each and every one of them was radiant with the light of Christ. And she described how that effect lasted for days, where she had gotten to see the great oneness of all creation the deep connection that we all have with one another, that we are at all times bathing in the love of God and the light of Christ, and most of the time we don't even know it. I had a similar experience in my own life. I actually shared it with you a couple of years ago on Transfiguration Sunday, but it's an experience I go back to again and again in my spiritual journey, and so I'm going to share it with you again. It wasn't as dramatic as Carol Houselander's experience, and it didn't last for days. It only lasted for a few moments. But I was sitting at a big table at a meeting of the Board of Ordained Ministry, which Pastor Aaron serves on right now. At the time, it was made up of 35, 40 clergy and laity from the Tennessee Conference, going through all the files of all the people who are going through the ordination process. And in some ways, it's a, it's a great experience in the, in the institutional side of the church. Like one big committee meeting that lasts for days. But I was sitting there, and I looked up, and all of a sudden, every single person sitting around that table was radiant and beautiful. And it was like for just a few moments, I could see all of us as God sees us bathed in God's love, shining with the light of Christ, beautiful and worthy and accepted just as we were, connected in a bond we could never break between one another. And then it was gone. What do we do with experiences like that? I think Carol Houselander's experienced put her life on a different trajectory. It shaped so much of what she did and who she became after that. In my experience, I I held on to it and allowed it to, to shape how I saw people for a little while, but eventually it sort of got put on the shelf and I got bogged back down into the institutional stuff, the day to day stuff of doing the church. 
This Sunday, we celebrate the story of Jesus' transfiguration. And we're invited to climb up that mountain with him and experience what happened on that day. And I want to invite us into that story through the experience of Simon Peter. I want us to climb up that mountain in Peter's shoes. And in order to do that, I think we need to know a little bit about where Peter has been in the days leading up to this moment. Jesus had taken his disciples up to the region of Caesarea Philippi. And along the way, he'd been asking them, who do you say that I am? How are you understanding who I am and what my ministry is all about? And it's Peter who steps up boldly and says to Jesus, you are the Christ. He says out loud what he believes. He makes a bold profession of faith and he gets it right. But then right away, Jesus begins to talk about how he's going to live that role out. He's going to go to Jerusalem and he will be rejected by the religious leaders, the elders, the rulers of the temple, and they will put him to death. Three days later, he will rise again. But Peter didn't seem to hear that part. He heard the part about Jesus being rejected by the institution, Jesus suffering, Jesus being put to death. And so he pulled Jesus aside and rebuked him. Mark doesn't tell us exactly what that rebuke sounded like, but I imagine Peter was saying to Jesus, no, 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 you are the Messiah, the Christ. This is not the path as it's supposed to be. I imagine Peter trying to control Jesus, trying to manage Jesus' ministry and make it more in line with what Peter wants. But Jesus very quickly rebuked Peter. And then a few days later, Jesus decides to take Peter and James and John with him. I guess Peter is, is back in Jesus' good graces. And the four of them climb this mountain. It was something Jesus did regularly, going off to pray. So I don't know exactly what Peter was thinking as they were trudging up the mountain. But once they got to the top of the mountain, Jesus was suddenly transfigured his face, his appearance changed. And Mark describes how his clothing was, was shining like no bleach on earth could ever cause it to do. The very light of his divinity was glowing through him. They could see his godness in the beauty of that vision. Suddenly the ordinariness of the world was stripped away and they could see the light and the glory and the connection of all things surrounding them. They could see that Jesus was indeed the Christ in this holy revelation. Suddenly Elijah and Moses were there talking with Jesus. It just, it just got better and more extraordinary. And then there's a cloud that envelops them, this cloud of unknowing, this cloud of mystery. And so we have this divine revelation being given to these three disciples. But what is Peter doing? In the midst of all of this wonder and glory and mystery, 
Peter's trying to, to nail it down. He's trying once again to manage it and control it and get a handle on things. He says, Lord, it's great for us. It's good for us to be here. Let's build three shelters, one for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses, and we'll, and we'll put this experience into three containers. And that way we'll, we'll own it. We'll have some control over it. And we could just stay up here and not worry about what else is going on in the world. Jesus doesn't even respond to what Peter says. And Mark makes it clear that Peter just says it because he's so frightened. He doesn't know what to do with this ineffable experience. But he gets no rebuke, no response. It's just the cloud that comes and envelops them. And then a voice that says, This is my son, Listen to him. It's as if God is inviting Peter to just shush, stop talking. Stop trying to control and manage and contain and regulate. Just be present and listen and receive. And when the experience is over and they're making their way back down the mountain, Jesus says, don't talk about this for a while. Don't try to put it into words. Don't go telling everybody yet. Don't go posting it on Facebook and Instagram and just let it sit. Let it live in you. And as time unfolds, it will begin to make more sense and it will nourish your ministry now and in the years to come and for the rest of your life. Hold on to this glimpse of glory that you've been given and let it live in you. I don't know about you, but I can totally identify with Peter in this story. That urge that I have Whenever I have a, a spiritual experience to want to wanna talk about it, to want to write my Monday meditation about it, to uh, want to put it in a sermon, to want to make meaning out of it, put a big bow on it, put it in a box. It's so hard to just let it be what it is and let it be beyond language and beyond containing I think this is something we do in the institution of the church. Several years ago, I was on a retreat with a group of pastors, and Eugene Peterson, who's a writer and a pastor and a contemplative, we were all United Methodists except for Eugene Peterson, and we were talking about some of our frustrations with the institution and the top heaviness of it and all of the ins and outs. And if you've been on the board of ordained ministry, you know all of the ins and outs of the book of discipline and all these rules that we have. And, and Eugene Peterson said, you know, the, the church in some ways is like a tree. There's a lot that's like the bark, big thick bark that, that's not really the living part, but it is the part that's the container for the living sap that's constantly flowing through the tree. What if we thought of, of the church as, 
as not the complete revelation of God, that we don't have all the answers, we haven't figured out the best way to do this or that or, or have a, chest, a, a list of things we can check off to know that we're right, but that more than anything else, we are a, a space where the divine can be experienced. The Apostle Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians, we are stewards of the mysteries. We spend so much time in our denomination, in the church, universal, with institutional things, trying to get our, our social principles right and, and arguing back and forth about who's in and who's out and what, who's worthy and who's not and what's our... When sometimes we lose sight of the mystery that cannot be put into words. Father Richard Rohr in this book, so much of it that I've read so far, offers the suggestion that perhaps what our world right now needs more than anything is Christians who are contemplatives. Christians who are willing to hold space for mystery and who can stand in the door and welcome people in and say, welcome to the mystery. My friends, we have a space here on West End Avenue that offers itself for just that purpose. How might God call us to offer this sanctuary, this holy space to our community? This is a place with open doors. We don't close our doors. We don't say that these windows and these walls hold in secrets of knowledge that only we know. That this place is only for the insiders who have everything figured out and who have everything right. No, this is an open space with open doors and the mystery of the Holy Spirit flows in and out of this place, bringing us in and helping us experience the deep abiding love of God. We come in with questions and we leave with questions, but we leave changed because we have been in the mystery. I don't know that I've expressed my thoughts very clearly this morning in this sermon, but maybe that's okay. Maybe that's the point. There are some things that cannot be explained but only experienced and believed.